Okay, so hi everybody. Um, really excited about tonight because tonight what we're going to do is I'm going to try to speak to the lowest common denominator in the room and the highest common denominator in the room at the same time, which means if you've never hosted a Seder before in your life, you will get enough out of it to be able to host your own Seder. And if you've hosted many Seders in your life, you will also get enough out of it to be able to host a more meaningful and exciting Seder. So the first thing that I want to dispel are two very important things. So it's not the first, it's two. But number one is if you have a tradition from your family, that's really important. So if you carry whatever that tradition is that you carry from your family, Seder is often about carrying those traditions. So if it's not you and you're married, so it's your husband's family that you carry those traditions for, that's really, really important. And one of the reasons why we often will stay home for the Seder, and there's a tradition that people have of not going to other people's homes for Seder, but to do it in, at home with their own family is because it's the only way that we can pass down the traditions of our family to our children. If we're constantly going to other people's families for Seder, even though it's a very beautiful thing, then the kids will grow up confused about what are our traditions. And so it's really important that the kids know this is our family tradition. So if you have those, so if I say something tonight that's going to conflict with your family's tradition, ignore it, because your family's tradition is more important than whatever I'm going to say. Number two, what's very important is to know the difference between what is Jewish law and what is tradition. I am going to say just, I'm putting out a random number, but it's probably more than 80% of the Seder is tradition which is why your family tradition is so important. But more than 80% of a Seder is really tradition. So therefore, because of that, it's important to know that these are not mandatory things. These are things that we do, and there's reasons why we do that. So there are three essential things that we do on the Seder night. Number one, and this is before the three, but number one is we have, an, we have an obligation biblically not to have any chametz. Chametz means any leavened bread in our home during Passover. That is a biblical commandment. So we, what we do is we clean the home, and that's all things that we do before Passover even starts. We make sure that we remove leaven from our homes, obviously in a more meaningful way. Leaven is referring to the ego. So one of the things that we do is we remove the ego from within for Passover, and we're going to eat matzah, which is considered the bread of humility, and we're going to eat some humility on Passover night, right? That bread simply, bread rises, it represents ego, and matzah is very thin, it does not rise, it represents humility. So there you have a little nice little snippet for you to see the difference between during the year and Passover night. The second, so once we get to Passover night, the first night of Passover, we have a biblical commandment to eat matzah. Traditionally, we eat handmade matzah because we can make sure 
much better than the machine matzah, that it is not leavened. So we eat matzah, we eat maror, and then we have another tradition, which is such an interesting tradition, and that is to tell our children the story that happened to us when we left Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never been to Egypt. And I don't really plan on going to Egypt, to tell you the truth. So am I going to lie to my kids that I was in Egypt? What does that mean? And so the answer to that is, there are many answers to it, but the basic answer to it is that our souls, each one of our souls was in Egypt. Initially, part of our master souls, for those of you who have uh, who have taken advantage of my uh, Kabbalah of Afterlife classes, so each one of our souls was in Egypt, but there's nothing, there, there's another part of this, and there's a more spiritual part of this that it connects to us, and that is that Egypt represents Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim means the narrowness, the limitations. Every single one of us has our own Egypt within us. We have limitations within us, things that stop us from achieving our potential. And so one of the things that we say to our children is when I was limited by my potential, when I was a slave, tonight we're going to talk to you about being free. What is freedom? Freedom is not Metzar Garim, is not the limitations. We're not going to put limitations in ourselves. We're going to truly be free, free to do that things, those things which are important, free to serve God in the way that we want. The design of the Seder, which is completely traditional, the design of the Seder is designed for the child to ask questions. What's this? What's this? What's this? So for those of you who are going to have Seder with small children, I know I'm speaking to lots of different types of people here. So you're going to hear lots of different types of things because I did get read a lot of what many of you wrote to me and what you've said. So I'm going to try to design tonight a little bit for everyone. So if you have small children at your Seder, if you achieve just the ability of them asking a question, then you've done your job. Just create a situation where your children, especially the small ones, can ask questions. And they should also know that that is the most essential part of Judaism. It's not about blind faith. That Judaism is all about asking questions and that the Passover Seder is designed to be a regular night in the family. Isidore Isaac Rabbi, for those of you who don't know, he won uh, the Nobel Prize in Physics in the 60s, a Jewish boy. And they asked him, after he won the Nobel Prize, what was the secret? How did, how did you, Isidore Isaac Rabbi, become the great Isidore Isaac Rabbi? And he said, every single day I come from school, and when most parents say to their kids, how was your day? My mother would say in her native Yiddish, Isidore, Isidore, did you ask any good questions today? Every single day, I looked forward to being able to come home and tell my mother the questions that I had asked my teachers. And he said that was the environment that created the Nobel Prize winner. And so what we do on Passover night is we teach our children the power of asking questions. How important it is for us as Jews 
to live a life of asking questions. And that is really how the Seder is designed. Now, let's go over the Seder itself. The Seder is designed with 15 steps. What the 15 steps are supposed to do is they're supposed to allow us to achieve everything we have to achieve. So for those of you who didn't see, I sent this out to you uh, by uh, by email. Um, so what I did here, because I know I took, into, I took into account a number of things. Number one, I took into account that you don't read Hebrew. I took that into account. Number two, I took into account something very important. And I've known this from the years and years and years that I've ran public seders, running up what we call a public seder, which means a seder that has more than 10 people at it, or maybe 20 people at it. I've run seders for three or four or 500 people in a room. And I want to try to create a meaningful experience for 500 people at the same time. So I know that from the beginning of the Seder until the food can't be more than 45 minutes. There are some families that have a tradition of extending the Seder. Well, what I want to say to those families is, while you're eating, talk about your stuff. All those things and the commentaries and all those things, because when everyone has a full mouth, it's much easier for them to be able to focus on all the things that you want to talk about. So so get, get through the Seder. It's really, really important for you to get through the Seder. So we want to do the traditions. We want to get through the Seder. And so in order to get through the Seder, what I want you to do is know that there's a way to do it in 45 minutes or less from the Seder until the food. There's also Seder afterwards, but we'll go through that in a second. So let's go through this page. Setup. Setup is crucial when you're making a Seder. Because... If you can't, if you're running around during the Seder trying to find things, then it's not a Seder. Seder means order. So you got to have to have everything organized. So these are the six main things that you need to have in order to have a successful Seder. Number one, a Kiddush cup. Everyone needs their own Kiddush cup. We're going to drink four cups of wine or grape juice. Some people might want smaller cups, but make sure the cups are at least 3.3 ounces. That is the minimum requirement of a cup for the Seder. Make sure you have lots of wine or grape juice ready. And if they really don't like the wine, provide the grape juice. But if you can, and I know there are people who cannot have wine, and I I respect that, and that's very important. They should have a sober Seder because that is something that's very important to them. But if you're someone who, who can have wine, but you can't tolerate it, try to add a little bit of wine to your grape juice, just a little bit. Even, a, I would say, a pregnant woman who generally won't be having alcohol, a little tiny drop. I'm not talking about a half a glass, a little tiny drop, just to just that there should be some wine in, 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 in the glass that you're going to have for the Seder. Matzah. The star of the show is the matzah. It's preferable to use the real thing to get round, hand-baked shmura. It's called shmura matzah. We pile them in three layers. If you don't have a proper nice little bag where you can put the matzah in, you can put a napkin in between or a cloth in between each of the layers. Many people will keep them inside a special covering, but make sure to have enough matzah for everyone to eat. Or at the very least, a half a shmura matzah per person or one whole machine-made matzah. So 
again, and I said this before, but I'll say it again. The, the Seder plate that we're going to talk right now about setting up, I think, I know some people have a tradition of having one on the table for the whole Seder. I think it's a really easy way for everyone to have their own Seder plate. A, it brings everyone into the mix of the Seder. And B, you don't have to get up. Because if at the end, if you use your Seder plate properly, all you're going to have at the end of the night is a shank bone. Because every single item on that Seder plate will be used. And that's the point of the Seder plate. It's not just to have it there for good looks and to get a nice Seder plate that you bought it at some Judaica store, or you bought it in Israel, and to be able to, to have some kind of you know symbolic Seder plate. But it's actually the plate that you're going to use to be able to run your Seder. So that's number three. The Seder plate, make sure you have enough of everything so that everyone will have enough to partake. Or better yet, just give them all their own so they for sure have enough uh, to partake. Uh, comfort. It's really important that you're comfortable at the Seder. It's part, part of the story of freedom is that everyone have a comfortable chair. Some people even have a tradition of bringing a pillow so that when you're leaning, because there's parts of the Seder that we lean, we can lean and you can focus on a pillow. And it's about this kind of, you know, in the old days, they would use a chaise lounge. Is that how you say chaise lounge? Chaise lounge. That's what they would use. They would, people would kind of, people would kind of uh, recline at the Seder. That was the, the nature of, of, of the Seder. Um, there are many people, uh, I'm going, I'm number five here. Uh, for the meal, many people have a custom not to roast. And talking about meals is a good idea to warn your guests that you won't be starting the meal for a while. That way they won't arrive starving or hungry. Because if you never came to a Seder before, there's a lot of reading before the eating. So make sure that people know that uh, if, unless you like uh, celery or potato or onion, that's about all you're getting for the first hour. Um, the story, don't forget the most important part of the Seder without one, even if you eat matzah, you drink wine, it's not fulfilled. You have to tell the story, tell the story. If you're making a Seder, you've probably already got one. You need the story of those people who left Egypt three and a half thousand years ago. That's a really important part of the Seder. This is what the Seder plate looks like. And the way I, the reason why I did it this way is to show you that you don't need any fancy plates. You just put out a plate. It's a plate. And so on the top right of the plate, it's going to have what we call the zroa. The zroa is a shank bone or a chicken bone. The tradition is to take off most of the meat because the zroa reminds us of the paschal sacrifice. Today, we don't have a temple. Today, we don't offer the paschal sacrifice. So the zroa is just a memorial thing on the, ta- on the table. It's people will go get a shank bone, or you can go to the butcher and you can get yourself a chicken neck or a chicken, but, but just you pull, peel off the meat and you put it there just as a memorial for what used to be the times of a temple. On the top left-hand corner of your Seder plate, you're going to put a hard-boiled egg. The hard-boiled egg is there to remind us of the holiday sacrifice. It's called the Karban Chagiga, the, hard, the, the, the holiday sacrifice. And people have a tradition that before the meal, the first thing you eat is the hard-boiled egg from your Seder plate. So that would be the first item that's eaten before the meal comes out. The middle, the middle of the Seder plate will have what's called the marar, the bitter herbs, to remind us of the bitter lives that, the, that we had in Egypt. Um, on the bottom right, you're going to have the charoset. 
The charoset is a mushy, sweet little thing. Usually it's made of crushed apples or pears or walnuts with a little bit of grape juice or wine. You can have your tradition. Everyone has their own traditions of how to make it, but it's supposed to remind us of the mortar that Pharaoh made us make ourselves in order to make our heart, our lives that much more bitter, that much more hardened. And then there's the karpas on the, on the bottom left hand. There's the karpas. The karpas is going to be the first item we're going to eat. And people have a tradition of using either uh, some kind of root vegetable. Uh, you can, people use parsley or celery or onion or potato. It's all good. And we're going to dip that into salt water. So make sure you have salt water. Salt water is really easy. You take salt, you put it in water, and you have salt water. And what I just saw, somebody sent me that you can buy pre-made salt water for $4.99 in the store. I said, I know that people take advantage of Passover. Because when we say Passover, it's like a wedding. Everything is four times the price. But you don't have to buy pre-made salt water. You just take salt and you put it in water and happy birthday. And then the bottom of the Seder plate in the middle, you have what's called chazeret, which is a bitter vegetable. And that bitter vegetable, once again, is going to be the second time, uh, the second time that you're going to use, because you're going to use the bitter herbs twice. By the way, if anybody wants to know, I'm showing this on the screen, but I sent this all to you in a link. If you got the link to to log into this, to the Zoom, you also got the link for, um, and for those of you who won't, I'll make sure to put it either in the notes or I'll send it out later just to make sure. Um, I can probably just do this right now. Hold on one second. I'll stop the share. Maybe it's a good opportunity for questions. Any questions, comments? I'm just going to. As you're as you're going through this, it's incredible. You're unlocking memories that oh, I yeah? hadn't thought of. Nor nor did I understand from when I was. I mean, we're talking probably five to seven years old. So, I, I remember. So you remember your Seder. Well, things that I didn't equate with the Seder, like I remember opening a pot and seeing a a chicken neck boiling when I was really little and being like, what in the world is this for? And then I remember the napkins with the matzah. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone? Surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Wow. Okay, look at that. So I'm happy. You see, and you said that this is new for you. You have a tradition. You have a tradition, Celeste. So don't, uh, don't let that go. That's what that's what's so beautiful about the Seder is that is that we can always unlock that memory. And even if it's not a conscious memory, there's a subconscious memory there somewhere. Any other comments or questions? 
We'll be back after a quick break. What if I told you that you can't change? Your meetings, your habits, your dispositions, they're all hardwired into you. You can't change. Well, that's exactly what Rabbi Yerucham tells us. Change is a miracle. And the only way to change is to merit a miracle. Baruch Hashem, Rabbi Yerucham, systematizes the approach. Please watch our status, join the thousands, and slam that link below. Merit the miracle of change. So you're, I feel like this might be a Seinfeld line, but so you're saying I need to boil the chicken neck. Is that what I'm hearing? I'm just saying that <laughs> before Passover, the Jews boil the chicken neck. Okay. Check. Thank you. Worst things have happened. <laughs> okay. I will go back. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously with a lot of stuff to cover, so I don't know if we'll get to everything, but I'm going to try. So here's your Seder plate. Underneath this plate is where you're going to have the three matzahs with the napkins. You, we have it underneath. Some people put it on the side, depending on what your family tradition is. But the idea of the Seder plate is the, the Seder plate itself is on top, and underneath you have mat napkins with your matzahs. Okay. Um, before, before you, before you start the Seder, we light the candles and you have the blessings. The first night of the holiday is Friday night. So I give you both blessings, the blessing for Friday night and the blessing that you're going to make for the Saturday night Seder for the second night. So you have it both there. I did keep in mind that so many of you do not read Hebrew. And so therefore I transliterated it for you. And I hope my transliteration is good enough for you to be able to do it. Okay, now let's get into the 15 steps. Uh, for those of you who know the song, the song goes, Kadesh Orchatz, Karpas Yachatz, Magirach didn't. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing, but uh, there's a beautiful song. That, that it, but uh, what I will do is I will sing to you my version, which is my rap version. And it goes like this. I got to get my beat going. Kiddushan, wine, wash hands, no bracha. Eat a vegetable and break the matzah. Tell the story, wash your hands with a bracha. Blessings on the matzah, blessings on the mitzvah. Bitter leaves for eating, bitter for wrapping. Now we get to the meal, fit for a king. Eat the afrikomen, thank God for everything. Praise God for his wonders. He accepts despite our blunders. For now, that's all of them. Next year in Jerusalem. So that's my, uh, that is my modern version of the 15 steps. But essentially, within that little rap, you can have an idea of what we're going to do. And it's always good. You see, what we're saying to the kids is, you can anticipate. This is what it is, right? Uh, planning behaviors are so important. They're such an important part of who we are. And so we're, we're telling the kids to anticipate. And my mother just added, and the chat, very important. Thanks, Ma, that lighting candles, when you light your candles, pray for everything, your entire wish list. It's a great opportunity where the gates of heaven are open. Okay, step one, we make the Kiddush. So what you're going to do is, now there's different traditions. Some people, as a sign of freedom, have a tradition of, um, of having someone else pour their glass. Some people specifically have a tradition of having themselves pour the glass. 
It doesn't matter. They're all good because they're just traditions and all traditions are good. So either you have someone else pour your glass or you pour your own glass and make sure at least 3.3 ounces and you're going to make what's called the Kiddush. The Kiddush is a toast of freedom. Just like our ancestors had to first leave Egypt before they can get the Torah, so we first have to leave behind the busy, buzzing hullabaloo of the world so that we can enter a timeless time. And that includes your cell phone. A space where all of us, our grandparents, our ancestors that left Egypt, every last Jewish person that lives, has lived or will live, all lived at once as a single person. How are we going to enter that space? Well, we enter it with a cup of wine. We use wine and grape juice to sanctify all of our great events. We use it for the weddings. We use it for the brit milas. We use it for all of the great moments that we're going to have. We're going to use that to sanctify. Wine is tonight's representative of freedom. So freely fill up your cup to the brim. Usually one person makes kiddush while everyone else listens. But tonight everyone gets their own cup. So the tradition is to all say the kiddush together. Why? And I give you a little explanation here. True liberation is not synonymous with unrestricted indulgence in the material world, nor is it achieved through divorcing oneself from it. True liberation is achieved through sanctifying the world and utilizing its elements as physical expressions of God's will. And then one of the things I really want, this is something that I wanted to always do, and give you different mentalities, because so often we get stuck in what we're going to call tonight a slave mentality. One of the problems was, and one of the shocking things that we always talk about when it comes to the story of the exodus of Egypt, is that most of the Jews did not want to leave. 80%, according to the Midrash, did not want to leave. One in five people did not want to leave. If the story, as we talk about it in the Haggadah, is this terrible, backbreaking labor the Jews had, why didn't anyone want to leave? And the answer, there's many answers to it, but the answer I'm going to give you is that they had developed what we're going to call a slave mentality. They were so seeped into the slave mentality, they didn't think there was anything else. They couldn't imagine anything but the rat race. They couldn't imagine anything but the grinds. So because of that, they were stuck in that mentality. So when Moses came along and said, people, there's a better world out there. You could do better than this. They said, no, it's not true. And so we also, like them, often get stuck in a slave mentality. So here's my example of the first one. A slave mentality is my professional career and personal life compete with my life as a Jew. At best, they're neutral and divorced from it. Freedom mentality is how can I express my Jewishness through my profession or occupation? So how can I bring who I am into my work instead of separating them? That's what the freedom mentality says. Once again, I was very conscious of the fact that many of you don't read Hebrew. And so I gave you the entire Kiddush right here in a transliterated version. So you got it right there. Um, I'm not going to go over all of that. And then what we do is once the Kiddush is over, we sit down and we lean to the left. It's a sign of freedom. And we drink the cup of grape juice or wine. And that will be the end of cup number one. We're going to have four glasses tonight, by the way. Four flights. 
Number two. By the way, um, if anybody has any questions at any time, feel free to put it in the chat or you can uh, interrupt me. No problem. I'm, I'm here. This is for you. I'm just wanting to go through this so that you can get everything in there. If you're falling asleep, if I'm not um, entertaining enough, then don't come to my Seder because this is what my Seder looks like. <laughs> um, if, if I'm not entertaining enough, please let me know. I will add jokes. I have really bad dad rabbi jokes that I can put in the middle of a Seder. And even though everybody says that was corny, like popcorn, like the father of corn, Still, it keeps them all going and keeps them all motivated. So I will continue to use my dad, rabbi, corny jokes. Okay, step two, we wash our hands. Usually when we wash our hands for bread, we make a bracha. We make a blessing. But this one, we don't make a blessing. Do you know why we don't make a blessing? Because the kid knows that we make a blessing. So we want the kids to say, why don't we make a blessing? Therefore, we can teach them once again to ask questions. So we do strange things at the Seder for one reason and one reason only. So the kids ask questions. There's also another reason, and that is there's a tradition that any time we touch a wet vegetable, that we wash our hands first. It's probably good for hygiene. And this is before people knew about hygiene, when they thought that we created the Black Plague because we were washing our hands. The Torah said, wash your hands because it's good for you, and it's going to save your life. And now we know it's so true. Um, another thought is that one of the aspects of freedom is the ability to elevate ourselves above the common denominator on the street. We've all felt that the sensory assault of billboards and gratuitous talk radio and violence on TV. One who is, who is concerned with spiritual and physical health is discriminating about all forms of consumption which movies to watch, which friends to spend time with, and what standards of business ethics to uphold. Freedom is the ability to say, I choose not to partake. That very powerful line, no, I'm not going to be part of this. This does not fit within my value system. And that's step two. Simply washing your hands and not making a blessing. And then we get to step three. Step three is called the karpas. The karpas is dipping a raw vegetable, a potato, onion, celery, or parsley into salt water. The vegetable should be no less than two ounces. Just don't get carried away there. We're not having lunch. We're not having dinner either. It's just a traditional a tradition, the vegetable called karpas, which contains the word perech, which is crushing and purposeless labor. And the salt water represents the tears of our ancestors. So we take the crushing and purposeless labor and we dip it in the tears of our ancestors to remind us of the backbreaking labor and the purposeless labor and the tears that they, the tears during that time. Now, you may ask why we do that. We do it so the kids will ask, and I say kids very loosely. For those of you who have no kids, you think kids are five years old. No, we're all kids of someone. So it's that we're all kids in a certain way as well. So that someone should ask why. And so once again, that's why we do it. So someone asks why. And the answer is so that someone will ask why. Because tonight, 
people are supposed to ask questions, especially children, and we're all children. And even if we don't have answers, it's important. You see, one of the great things we can teach our children is that not every question gets an answer. You don't have to have the answers to the questions. You just have to ask the questions. And sometimes you don't want to destroy a very good question with an answer. Why would you want to destroy a perfectly good question by answering it? So even if we don't have answers, that's okay. Because we can tell the story that happened to us when we left Egypt as an answer to a lot of the questions. Because when a story answers a question, it's a story that will be remembered. You see the educational elements here? When a story answers a question, when we use that as a parable or an analogy or as a metaphor to answer a question, we're going to remember it much more than just answering the question. So were you satisfied with that answer? You don't have to be. Our sages explain that the backbreaking labor consisted of forcing the men to do the jobs of women and the women to do the jobs of men. And I know this gets into gender issues. I'm not going there today, but this is something that, that's within the framework of, of our sages. And reversing the natural roles, as the Torah says, especially intolerable for them, one achieves, one, one achieves freedom by expressing our own particular role and not by swapping it for another. Without going into gender issues, I think it's an important element is that we all have our own unique role. And it's really, really important that we look in and to try to find our own unique role. Once again, I put this in here for you, slave mentality versus freedom mentality. Slave mentality says that guy has a glamorous job. How did I ever get stuck with a job that I have? And freedom mentality says, what is the most that I can accomplish through my life? Capabilities, talents, and resources. What will be my unique contribution? We hold the vegetable in our hands. We dip it in the salt water. And then we make the blessing. It's right here. And when we make the blessing of Bere Priya Adama, we have in mind the maror, the bitter herbs that we're going to eat later on. Celeste, please. We'll be back after a quick break. What if I told you that you can't change? Your meetings, your habits, your dispositions, they're all hardwired into you. You can't change. Well, that's exactly what Rabbi Yurchim tells us. Change is a miracle. And the only way to change is to merit a miracle. Baruch Hashem, Rabbi Yurchim, systematizes the approach. Please watch our status, join the thousands, and slam that link below. Merit the miracle of change. Thank you. Uh, would you mind, sh- sorry, my screen adjusted there. Would you mind sharing um, at your table over the years how you explained the concept of bondage and or slavery to younger children? I find that in this current culture, uh, my daughter is having a hard time understanding um, that there is such a thing as not being free. So, you know, sometimes you're playing a video game. And your mom or your dad calls your name 
but you don't even hear your mom or dad calling your name because you're so deeply immersed in your video game that all you're there, that's slave. You are a slave to your video game. That helps. Thank you. Anytime. Addiction is a form of slavery. That's a great, a great conversation to have with kids. Anytime that you do something that you can't control yourself, you're a slave. Thank you for bringing that up. It's such such an important element. And it's really the theme of the evening. So, uh, you know, and, and especially, again, and I like where, you, where, where, your, where your mindset is going, Celeste, and, and, and many of us, where our mindsets are going, because this is about making it as powerful and as simply powerful as possible to whoever we have and we're experiencing with. Yeah, if we have adults, we can have a more profound conversation. But for the kids, it has to be simple and concise and to the point. Once again, I'll just say you can interrupt me at any time because this is these are very, very important conversations. Okay, let's go to step four. We're at step four of 15. You see, we have planning behaviors. We know where we're going to head. We know where we're going. Step four of 15, breaking the, the, the matzah. And I gave you the six-step um, process here. Number one, you take out the middle matzah, right? You're going to have three matzahs, all divided by napkins. You take out the middle matzah and you break it in half. You ask everyone to vote on which piece is bigger and which piece is smaller. Très important, as we say in English. I mean, in French. This is very important. Which one is bigger and which one is smaller? Why? Because we're just trying to engage everyone. That's all we're trying to do. That's why it's important. Is it really important? Not really. But it's very important because this is an interactive experience. Number four, you put the smaller piece back in between the two other matzahs. We call it lechem oni, the poor man's bread. The larger piece is called the afikomen. The afikomen comes from the Greek word apikimis, which was something the Greek Jews used to do um, during, at, this, at, at the point of the Seder that we do the afikomen, which will be later on. They would go apikimis, they would hop from house to house. They would have a whole tradition of hopping from house to house, and that's where the tradition afikomen came from. But basically, it means dessert. You break the afikomen into five pieces. With these pieces, you have several options. You can hide it somewhere. And later when the kids are restless, you can offer them a reward for finding it. Or as an ancient custom of many Middle Eastern Jews, you wrap the pieces in napkins and then a scarf. And then you wrap the scarf over your shoulders and over the shoulders of the children. So with the matzahs under their arms and you tell them that they are the children of Israel carrying the matzah out of Egypt. And you make a whole tradition. You say, my children, stand up. We are now going to leave Egypt. And you have each one of them with their scarf and their matzah over their shoulder. And then you run around the table. And they love it. And it's very, very experiential. Because they can actually experience the, that experience of having the matzah on their back, as our ancestors did, and running out of Egypt. And the truth is that if the adults would not be so full of themselves, they would also enjoy it. But most importantly is they can keep us somewhere safe because we're going to need it at the end of the meal. Why? True freedom comes from realizing and appreciating the small things in life. By reciting the Haggadah over the smaller half of the matzah, we say that whatever humble resources we have, we can achieve self-liberation. All we need to do is try. No matter what, 
There are people of privilege. There are people of no, not privilege. There's a great conversation you can bring up at your Seder about people about privilege. And that no matter what we have, one of the great examples the Jewish people have taught us throughout the ages is that no matter where we've been and no matter what situation we've been in, we've always done the best with the resources that we've had. And that is the story of that middle matzah. Slave mentality, I would love to be happy and free, but realistically, I lack so much. Freedom mentality is, I may not have much, but I'll give it my best. Same exact thing, two different ways of looking at it. And that, my friends, is step four. Now at this point, it's time to formally introduce the centerpiece of our celebration, and that's the matzah. So we uncover the matzah a little for all to see, and then we sing. And I gave you the Hebrew here in your book, Helach Ma'anya. But what we're really saying is a very beautiful, very powerful line. This is the bread of affliction, which our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. All who are hungry, let them come and eat. All who are needy, let them come and celebrate. Passover with us. Now we are here. Next year, may we be in the land of Israel. Now we are slaves. Next year, may we be free. So this little passage right here opens up so many questions for us. Number one is, why didn't we say it earlier? Why are we saying it there? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. But one of the reasons is because we want to teach the kids to give. We're teaching the kids that we are about giving. We already said it. We did say it before. We tried to invite people to our Seder. And that's a really important part, if we can, COVID-friendly. Obviously, it's important to be able to have other people at your Seder. But what today, we're going to teach everyone that that is our culture. That is our value system. We invite. Anyone who's needy, we're going to make sure. And if we can't physically invite them, you should know, I want to tell you, children, that we made sure we gave money to make sure that anyone who needed for the Seder had for the Seder. So when we're sitting here enjoying our Festival of Freedom and our Seder of Freedom, you should know we also made sure that people will have enough who don't have enough. That's a very important value for us. Now, here's an interesting one. At the end, we say, now we're slaves. I thought we're free. And this is where you can come, Celeste, and say to your kids that we're all slaves. We're all slaves. If we be, Freedom is a choice that we have to make not to be a slave. Even though God took us out of Egypt, we could always create our own Egypts. And that's why the Seder is so important tonight. Now cover the matzah for a minute. And we now refill, because this is now going to be cup two of four. We refill our cup. And this is going to be the cup over which we're going to tell the story. Now, there is a very long Haggadah, whatever version of the Haggadah. There, there's a whole story that's told in the Haggadah. I've done something here. And, there, and I want to just preface by saying the reason why I've done it is because I find that today a lot of people don't do it anymore because it's just so long. So I gave you an abridged version. Obviously, if you want to do the real thing, open the Haggadah, get a real Haggadah. Don't use this and tell the whole story the way it's been told for two and a half thousand years. Most of the time, since that, 2,000 years, since after the Talmud. A lot of it is written in Aramaic from the Talmud, from the Talmud time. But I gave, put into, again, we're, we're focusing on the kids. We're making sure that we can get through it in 45 minutes. And so therefore, I gave you an abridged version of the whole story. Um, Magid, this is what we call it, the retelling of the story. It's the heart of the Seder. It's the storytelling. So make sure that you tell it as a story. 
It's also the longest part. We start off by inviting those who don't have a place for the Seder to join us. And then we pour the second cup of wine. And then the next thing is the children say the four questions. The four questions, I would say, is the most known passage in all of Judaism. There are people who will go to synagogue on Yom Kippur, and they can probably just say two words of the whole prayer by heart, and that's kol nidre. But there are many people who don't do anything Jewish who can tell you the entire Manishtana by heart, which is a very, very beautiful, very beautiful tradition. It's the most known Hebrew words within Judaism, and that means that somebody did a, a pretty decent job when you were at some age making sure that you knew those lines. And if you don't, it's never too late. Some people have a custom for the youngest child to ask. Um, you can you can decide who's going to ask at your seder, and some people have it. We're all children of someone, so if you're even if you're alone, you can ask the question. Oh, you're going to ask the question to yourself? Yeah, you can ask the question to yourself. And I gave it to hear you here in Hebrew and then in English side by side. And very important, you can also have my Dr. Seuss style version of the Manishtana. And I won't read it all to you, but you can only imagine why is it only on Passover night that we never know how to do anything right. We don't eat our meals in regular ways, the ways that we do on all other days, because on all other nights we may eat all kinds of wonderful good bready treats like big purple pizza that tastes like a pickle, crumbly crackers and pink pumpernickel, sassafras sandwich and tiger on rye, 50 falafels and pita fresh fried with peanut butter and tangerine sauce spread onto each side, up and down, and then across. With toasted whole wheat bay bread and livers and ducks and crumpets and dumplings and bagels and locks, and donuts with one hole and donuts with four, and cake with six layers and windows and doors. Yes, and all the nights, we eat all kinds of bread, but tonight of all nights, we munch matzah instead. And you can go on and on. So you have it all there. Enjoy. Um, and then afterwards, we sing a very beautiful song, that we were slaves, we were all slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, that each one of us has a Pharaoh. And that we praise God that took us out. Now, the next part is a really beautiful story of four different people. So we, we present four different children at the Seder, a, a wise one. I'm not going to say, uh, a, they say wicked, but it's actually a contrarian. That's really what it is, a contrarian. A simple one and one who doesn't know how to ask. And the Rebbe said there's even a fifth child, that, and that's the child who doesn't come to the Seder. And so the reason why we present these, obviously, is so the kids try to figure out which one they are. And then you can say, no, you're not the contrarian, you're really the wise one. You're also wise. And you can say to them, and then they're like, no, no, I'm a Russia. I'm a bad one. Da, da, da. Anyway. So I don't know why that conversation always comes up. And, but the point of it is that we're going to talk about the Haggadah and it's going to matter for every single one of us. So we have to say it in a way that matters for every single one of us. And here's my Haggadah in plain, simple English. Again, this is my condensed version, but if you're not going to do any version of the Haggadah, at least do this, and it really does cover the majority of what the Haggadah covers. And I'm going to read it to you now. 
Also because it'll give you an idea of what's in the text of the Haggadah if you're actually going to do the Haggadah. We have so much to be proud of coming from such humble beginnings. We started off as slaves, slaves to the Pharaoh in Egypt. In fact, we would still be slaves today if it weren't for the fact that the Holy One, blessed be he, liberated us from there with a strong fist and an outstretched arm. We would be slaves. Our children would be slaves. Our grandchildren would be slaves. Nobody would have even thought of the whole idea of freedom. And that's why we're telling the story tonight. Because even if we would all be wise and understanding, even if we all knew everything that's written in the Torah and the holy books, we would still be telling the story tonight. And the more you tell, the better. Just to give you an example, there was a case where five of the greatest rabbis were sitting around in Benebrak the whole night telling the story of the liberation from Egypt. There was Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, and Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon. And they're sitting around. They didn't stop until their students arrived and said, our teachers, it's already time to say the morning prayers. And they're like, whoa, that was fast. What do you think they were discussing? Well, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah mentioned that he had been attempting for many years, interjecting that he was about 70 years old at the time to convince the other sages that there's a mitzvah to mention the exodus from Egypt every night. It says, the days of your life, he claimed, waving his thumb in the air as a good Tom Woodis does. Nowhere does it say anything about the night time. Then Rabbi Eliezer, ben Azar, when Rabbi Eliezer went on to praise the young sage, who doesn't even get called by his own name, bright guy, though Zoma's son, they called him, that's Ben Zoma in Hebrew. Ben Zoma explains, that there's an extra word here. And it says every day of your life. Well, that also can be read as the whole day of every day of your life. Depends on how you translate it. If it is just said, remember the Exodus, all the days of your life, Benzoma went on to explain that I would know that every day I had to mention the Exodus in the daytime. But since it says the whole day, I now know it should be the nighttime as well. And that's a little example. Why? Because Talmud is so important and we want to teach our kids how great is the Talmud. No, I, I just made that up. But it is actually a Talmudic piece that, that, is in the, that is in the beginning of that part of the Haggadah. Blessed is the one who contains all space and time. Blessed is he. Blessed is the one who gave the Torah to his people. Blessed be he. The Torah tells of four different ways of telling the four different kinds of children the story. One is wise. One is chilled or bad or contrarian, one is simple, and one just doesn't know how to ask. We call him the Nebuch. So what does the wise one say? Explain to me all the symbolism, the rituals, and the rules that Hashem, our God, commanded you. So you have to tell him all the rules of Passover, all the way to the last rule that you don't eat anything after the Afikomen tonight. As for the chilled one or the contrarian, you say, he's like, well, what, what are you guys doing here? Like, well, Uh, what's all this about? He says, you guys, excluding himself. So you blunt his teeth. I love blunting teeth. Quote the verse. It's because of this that God did all these things for me when I left Egypt. If he's excluding himself already, he's excluding himself from leaving Egypt. If he had been there, he would have never been redeemed. What about the simple son? He's like, what the heck is going on here? What's this? So you tell him about all the miracles. Make sure you focus on the miracles because he, that's what he wants. He's simple. He wants to hear about all the greatness. With a mighty hand, God took us out of Egypt where we were slaves. 
And the one who doesn't know how to ask, well, if he doesn't know how to ask, you got to open the conversation. Teach the child to ask. You see the value of asking questions? If the kid doesn't know how to ask, teach the kid to ask. Tell them, God did all these things for me in Egypt so that I would do all this. It's like trying to get you to ask questions. Suddenly, the kid who never asks a question comes up with a question. Hold on. He says, maybe we should be doing the Seder the first of the month on Rosh Chodesh. Because that's when God told Moses about the mitzvah of Passover. It says on that day. Okay. So then we should be doing it during the day. And now that it's night already, why are we not doing it at night? Great. This is wonderful. Kid, you're asking questions. We like this. It's because it says, for the sake of this stuff, meaning this matzah and this bitter herbs that we eat on the night of Pesach. So we have to wait until we're supposed to eat that stuff, and that's tonight. Now, it's an embarrassing and a shameful fact, but we're going to have to admit it. Originally, our forefathers were idolaters, but now God has brought us into a great deal working for him. That's what Joshua said to all the people. So says Hashem, the God of Israel. Your fathers lived on the other side of the river for a long time, and there was Terach, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. So I took your father, Abraham, from the other side of the river, and I walked him through the whole Canaan. You see the vast, desolate lands. I gave him lots of descendants. I gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob. And Esau, to Esau, I gave Mount Seir to take over. The Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Da-da-dum. Blessed is the one who keeps his promise, Israel. Blessed is he, because God set limits to how long the exile would be. He promised to Abraham in the deal between the parts. And this is what he said to Abraham. Know that your children will be strangers in a land that is not theirs for 400 years. They will be enslaved and oppressed. Also know that I will judge the nation that they serve, and I will take them out with a great wealth. There's a beautiful song that people sing, the Hisha Amda song. And that what, what the, the Hisha Amda song translates as, is this is the promise that has stood strong for our ancestors and us. Because not just one nation alone has risen up against us to wipe us out. In every generation, they stand against us to wipe us out. And each time, God saves us from their hand. This is in the Haggadah. This is what we say. And every generation, it happens over and over. And you, you say to the children, you're not just an isolated person in an isolated time. You are part of a great story. Um, question, what does a deal between the parts mean? Basically, um, Abraham and Avimelech had made a deal. And Essentially, the deal between the parts is because Abraham had just given himself a brit milah, a circumcision, he would put his hand on the circumcision because that was holy, and they called that the deal between the parts. Now we go through the ten plagues, and each time we say one of the ten plagues, we either dip our hands or we pour a little bit because when we talk about bad things happening to other people we also have to shed a tear it keeps us more emotionally vulnerable 
That's a very important part. That's the reason why we poured a little bit of that wine is because we want to remain. You don't want to rejoice of a downfall of your enemy. How important this is. A great lesson to teach the kids. And we, here in my Agata here, it goes, I go through all the different plagues. Enjoy. And then the splitting of the sea. Great story right there. And then, of course, the one song that somehow everybody seems to know, and that is the Dayenu song. So I won't sing that because I don't know how to sing. But um, then there's an important part of the Seder. The Seder where the part where we say, if we don't say these three things, the Seder never happened. That's Pesach. We show up, we show the shank bone. And we say, this reminds us of the Paschal sacrifice that the Jewish people brought during the times of the temple. The matzah, we show the middle matzah, make sure everybody can see it. And we say how important the matzah is. And then the maror, the bitter herbs. And that is the end of the long part. Oh, sorry. Then we drink the second cup. We make hagafen and we drink the second cup. And that's the end of the long part. Afterwards, we wash our hands. This time we make a bracha. The bracha is right here. Aonatilatia dayim. We're going to eat the matzah. We're going to make two brachas on the matzah. One, which is Amotzi Lechem and the other one, which is the Alachilat Matzah prayer. So we make two brachas on the matzah, and then you lean to your left as you munch your matzah. And again, the, the tradition is, especially because the first night is a biblical tradition, we make sure to eat at least half of a shmura matzah or a full square matzah, depending on which matzah. Uh, try to get a shmura matzah if you can. Uh, afterwards, we do the, the bitter herbs. You can either use romaine lettuce, or if you're like me, I get a good horseradish root. And you make sure that you, you, want, you want to experience those tears. You know what I mean? You want to really experience the tears that Jews has. So you get a good horseradish root, you take a bite out of crime, and you experience those tears. Then, we do the same thing together because you see Hillel invented the, sh- the, 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 the shawarma. What he would do is he would take the Paschal sacrifice. He would put it in his matzah with a little bit of nice bitter herbs. And he would have this really great sandwich. The problem is today we don't have the, the, the Paschal sacrifice anymore. So we just get the bitter herbs in the matzah. I mean, it's kind of like having a sandwich with just the mustard and nothing else, but it works. And that's the Korach sandwich. And we say this is what Hillel did in the times of a temple was standing. He would wrap the Pesach, the matzah, and the maror, and he would eat them together. And he would say on bitter, on matzah and bitter herbs, they would eat it. So we eat the two of them separately, and then we eat the two of them together. We got to cover all the bases. At this point, step, this is the end of step nine. We eat the hard-boiled egg, as I said before. Before we start the meal, we eat the hard-boiled egg, and then we go to the festive meal. That is step 10, is eating the festive meal. I even give you a little Torah thought for your meal here. After the meal is over, whatever that is, we take the afikoman out of hiding, and that's going to be the, the last part of our meal. Again, just to show you slave mentality, when they hand you that last piece of matzah, people say, no thanks, I'm full. My schedule has no real time for spirituality. I do more than enough for the Jewish community already. The freedom mentality is, I've got all that I need, but my heart and soul yearn 
for more spirituality and more community? And can I really ever do enough? Then we do the Birchat HaMazon, the grace after meals, over the third cup. So we're going to pour the third cup. We're going to do the grace after meals, the Birchat HaMazon. And I have it here, at least the first paragraph for you in Hebrew here. And we drink the third cup. After we're done with the third cup, we open the door for Elijah. For those of you who are still in areas that you mask, you may see just a mask floating in the air. You'll know that's Elijah. And bad joke. Next, moving right along. Uh, You're going to open the door for Elijah, and we say some pretty heavy stuff there. I don't want to talk about that. It's a pretty, it's probably the craziest prayer in all of Judaism. Okay, fine, I'll talk about it. (laughs) We say this prayer. I cannot believe it. It shocks me every year. We say, pour out your wrath upon the nations that do not acknowledge you and upon the kingdoms that have never called your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste to his name. Pour out your wrath upon them and let the wrath of your anger overtake them. Pursue them with anger and destroy them from beneath the heavens of God. We go to the door. We greet Elijah and we scream out this prayer. All I can think about is how many, through the generations, how many of our ancestors would have loved to scream out this prayer at their adversaries. That's all I'm saying. I'll tell you, speaking of which, there's an old tradition. (laughs) I don't even know why I'm saying this publicly. But there's an old tradition that the, 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 all the wine that you pour out when you pour it out for the plagues, you collect it in a bowl. And then if you don't like someone, you pour it on their lawn. <laughs> it's an old, old tradition. Well, I don't know how things are in Canada, but if we were to do this in the United States, we would be caught on several porch cameras and probably turned into the law. So, <laughs> But there's no law against pouring wine or grape juice on someone's lawn. That's true. And also we have the magic when the police do show up and we explain it's Passover, they will be gone in two seconds. Exactly. It's a Passover tradition. I can't explain why. This is what we've been doing for centuries. Apparently, it often causes houses to be up for sale. Anyway. There's some people who swear by it. Uh, Next, the 13th step is Hallel. We sing this very beautiful song of praise. And then we drink the four cup of wine. We say the Hagafen. And then we say, next year in Jerusalem. And we finish off with some very important songs about goats and cats and oxen and butchers, which is the Chagadia, which is a very traditional song, or Echad Meyodea. I have it here in Hebrew and in English. These are all traditional um, Passover songs. What I also added here is some questions for discussion. Um, I'll give you just one here. This is maybe an interesting one that I that I thought of last year, actually, why did Martin Luther King Jr. quote the Passover story in his I Had a Dream speech? I always think, you know, it's a black man in the 60s in the United States. Go get your own story. Don't steal our story. And what what I think, this is my answer, is that the Passover story is the first time that a nation ever enslaved another nation. 
we prove to the world that you can be enslaved and freed in a single generation. So every person and every peoples who have been enslaved throughout history have looked at us as their inspiration for freedom. And so we have a lot of other discussions here that you can have. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the story of my little Haggadah there. Let me know if there's anything I'm missing. My mother says that she heard it can kill someone. That's what I was referring to. So you make sure to get rid of the wine. Okay, good. That's why I said you put it on the lawn of the people that you don't like. Anyway. Moving right along. So that's that's the Seder in a nutshell. Um, I'm happy to, so um, I know that it's already, you know, you've been listening to me and I want this to be a little more interactive than just my voice. So let's go over. I can also give you like different pointers and things that I bring into the Seder to make it fun. Uh, if that's something that's interesting for you, but tell me what uh, what you really want. And I'm happy to answer any other questions that you have. What's on your mind? Tell me. I have a question just about the Haggadah. I thought there was 15 steps. I only saw 13, unless I missed. 15 steps. I did 15 steps. Halal and Yerza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, after Halal. Okay. I missed the last two. Yeah. What else? Avagal, did you, was, did any specific questions about the Haggadah itself? Were you following along with the Haggadah as we were talking? Yes, 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 yes. I just missed the, the last couple. But why do we lean to the left and not the right? We lean to the left because that's where our esophagus is. If we lean to the right, it's going to choke us. Very practical reason. <laughs> I think Lola, wanted, she's been listening. Lola, did you have a question related to what we're talking about? Passover's next Friday. Thank you. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. Okay, any, what else? That's it? We solved all the world's problems? Good. I'm interested to hear a little more about the, the, the esophagus and leaning to the left. Could you just uh, maybe a little backstory or origin on that? I mean, that's what it says in the Talmud. It says that the the the, the windpipe is on the right and the and the food pipe is on the left, and that if your the food will get stuck in your windpipe, you lean to the right, so that people would always when you on your chaise lounge, you would lean to the left, so that it would go down the right the right pipe. It's not so complicated. What did they have a a dis a discourse about it? Um, just curious. Nothing I can remember. But then, I guess we'll get. I'll, if I stay in class, we'll get there, right? Uh, eventually. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to everything eventually. Okay. If you don't have any other questions, I'm happy to go over some. Uh, oh, you don't get the Paschal Lamb. What don't you get about the Paschal Lamb? I never got that part. They'd always say these are the three most important parts of the Seder. Yeah. And I'd always be like. You want, you're saying you want the roast beef? No, I don't want it. I don't know what we're supposed to know about it or what, how do you fulfill that beef when it says your Seder's not complete unless you 
matzah and mora we eat, we make the brachas on, I get that. And then this this paschal lamb, I have no idea what So it. the paschal lamb is a very important thing, but it was exclusive to the temple. So today we don't have the rights to the paschal lamb. But so we just say it. You just say it. We There's a lot of things that we do. Okay. And it says that by saying them, it's like we did them. So somewhere in the Haggadah, we'll be mentioning the Paschal Lamb. We do mention the Paschal Lamb. But it's important to know that the first Paschal Lamb was three days before they left Egypt. Moses, Hashem told Moshe to put it, that they should, they should tie it around their bedposts. The reason why is because they wanted the Egyptians to ask, what are you doing? And they're going to say, we're going to serve this lamb to our God because the Egyptians worshipped lamb. They worshipped it as, as, a, as, a, as a deity. Oh, okay. So it was a very big deal when the Jews went and took the deity of Egypt and offered it to their God. We're saying, like, in disrespect of what they do. That's right. Like, it would be like burning the Quran or something, something like that. Something like that. So it was a very big deal. It was the first expression of freedom that we really had. Well, the the, the plagues were really oh, yes. the, first the the norm there. Yeah, the plagues were God's first expression of freedom for us. But this was the first time we ourselves expressed freedom from Egyptian slavery by actually taking one of their deities and Got saying, "Haha, we're going to go offer it to our God." Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, you know, for many years, we did have the Paschal sacrifice, and it was a wonderful lamb chop dinner that people had. But today, we don't get that. And maybe rightfully so, because there's a lot of fat in lamb. Maybe some people can't handle that fat. Okay. Um, why can you eat rice during Passover? Oh, you're asking wonderful questions. Depends on which tradition you have. You have to ask your family tradition. If you don't have a family tradition to eat rice on Passover, you cannot eat rice on Passover. Only those with family tradition. See, this is where, as I said in the beginning, family tradition come, really comes in handy, really comes into, in, in, into play over here. Why do we do the Seder two nights in a row? Why not four? Why not six? Because the first one is practice and the second one is for points one is biblical i mean that is that is really what it is i mean if you don't get it right the first night at least you have a second time but the real reason has to do with the jewish calendar basically like this the 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 new the new moon is seen on the 15th of the jewish month right that's the night you're going to have the full moon so the 15th is also the night of passover so there would be no way to know when is going to be the night of Passover outside of Israel. You see, in Israel, right away, the, the, the high court would say, tonight is Passover. We saw the new moon. So everyone in Israel would know. But if you lived outside, it would take an extra day to get the news. So what they would do is the people outside of Israel would practice two nights in anticipation, not sure which night would be the right one. But they would do two nights. And that's why out of Israel, we do two nights. And in Israel, we do one night. That was a complicated question in less than 30 seconds. But there's a lot more to it than that. But that's the basic gist of it. Wow, that's it? Okay. Um, so, so, so there's a couple things. Again, the, the, the point of the Seder is to engage. So if you have adults there, 
I gave you those questions at the end of my Haggadah there, or you can create your own questions. Have discussions. It should be an interactive, not what I did tonight. Tonight is not a good example of an interactive Seder because I couldn't get anyone to interact with me. But you really want to get the participants to interact. And multi-sensory experiences are fantastic. And so um, one of the things that, I, that I've done in the past for the kids is I'll come to the Seder with a closed box or with like a special bag. And they all, want, they all think there's candy in there. But I, you know, and, and I have different things in there. And all of those, what, what, what I put on the, I put like a, a tag on it or a sticker on it from Egypt with love or danger, do not open. And then um, decorate it to make it look old. And you put like a, a unique number on the box. And inside I put different things in there. For example, I will put a blood-stained toothbrush, basically, or I fill a vial with beet juice to represent. And I say that well, I've been saving this to show you from the plague of blood so you can see what it looked like. This Imagine all of everything was there. This is just an example. Or I get plastic frogs. Or I get wild animal masks. Or I get uh, um, mir- a mirror speckled with red dots or jewels and gems, or, or sunglasses to represent darkness, or uh, a little baby Moshe in a basket, or straw and brick, or, or a little Paschal lamb, a little toy lamb, just to, just to, to you know, and every so often in the middle of the Seder, I kind of pull things out of my special bag, and, and pass it around, and, and the kids get to keep the toys, and, and, and it's, a, it's just part of the conversation, that's one example of how to make it a little more exciting. Um, one of the things that I we can do also is instead of just um, saying the four sons, we actually have different people take on the role and they have to like act as if they're one of the four, we don't say four sons, but one of the four children. Um, you know, sample lines would be something like um, the, the wicked son says, listen up, Rabbi, you advertised brisket dinner and four cups of wine. I've been sitting here and waiting, and all I got is a little bit of wine and a lot of speeches. You know this is chutzpah. I am starving. I have exams. Get with it. Or uh, to the child that uh, doesn't know how to ask, I said, you say, um, excuse me, but uh, does anyone know where the bathroom is? Because now that's a question. You got it? Okay. Or, uh, or for the simple child, you say, it says, oh, this wine is great. Where did you get it from? Is kosher wine blessed by a rabbi? Again, what you're doing is you're creating this idea of asking questions. And that's a really, really great thing. Really keeping the, the focus of the evening, asking questions. <laughs> Okay. Anything else? That's it. So what are you taking away from tonight? Anything, Alana, did you get anything new for, for, do you have anything uh, to go, to go home with? 
Okay, <laughs> I couldn't find the unmute button. Um, I, I really like, I, I just, just my takeaway is just getting the kids to ask questions and just encouraging them to ask questions about what's on their plates and the Seder plates and, you know, and even just when we break the afikom and, and usually my husband goes to hide it, but we never ask them like, which, which piece do you think is bigger or smaller? So I, I kind of like that. I'm going to really try to keep that in mind as we uh, go through. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm really happy. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. So Les, what are you taking away? Since you're the novice. Or so you say. I don't believe it, but so you say. It is It is true. From my perception, this is true. Uh I'm a little, I'm going to be full disclosure, honest, like I like to be in these classes. I'm a little um, intimidated. I have fond memories of my family being together over Passover when I was very young. And you were baby that, that with you little baby that day. I, I know it's hard to imagine, but I was a little baby. Um, so I, I'm intimidated, but I appreciate uh I appreciate this this information you shared and the way you're sharing it. And I'm definitely seeing the creative side. So that's really exciting to start our own traditions with, with Lola. It'll be fun. Okay. Avagal, what about you? What are you taking home with you? Um, I'm taking home the little details, I think. Like oftentimes, like you just see the Haggadah and you just want to like do all the parts and rush through. But it's also like a lot of little beautiful parts that are like even in like little stories or little things about them that you could take time to explore and that add meaning and create meaning for you in your Seder. It's really beautiful. Anyone else? I can't see uh, anyone else over there, but anyone else have any takeaways tonight? Kelsey, are you there? Um, so I really didn't realize about the measurements. I'm the novice. Okay. <laughs> like the 3.3 ounce minimum kind of thing. Um, and then I appreciate you separating out the tradition from what is biblical. That was important for me to know. And then honestly, what your mom said about lighting the candles and praying for everything that kind of struck a chord with me. So. Thank you. Amazing. I, I'm and also I, I love to make a note of that as far as sorry, we're, so we're talking about measurements, is that it's really important that and it's and it's very late um, because of, a lot of us have done the time change. Passover itself starts late. So what do you do? What do you do with the fact that Passover starting late and we're supposed to have the matzah after nightfall? And nightfall, let's say here in Montreal, is going to be like uh, like close to eight o'clock. That's very late. Or I don't know where it is for the rest of you, but it's a big problem. And so I, I just, uh, we try as hard as we can to make sure, again, we have different times that the time should be that, that we should actually eat the matzah after nightfall. That's a really important tradition. Just to bring up Kelsey 
in your honor, different measurements and traditions that are uh, that are very important. What else? Uh, for for when we're when we have our moment of prayers, that um, when you say that the gates of heaven are open, I think it's the term you used. So I'm just wondering, and this goes for uh, all Friday nights for me, really. I, do do people spend a long time in those moments? I realize time is relative, but I'm just curious because the the more I do, I practice the lighting of the candles, the the longer the more things i see around me that i i would love to be blessed or people helped or how long does that usually last for ma you want to answer that well we have a mutual friend and she's like on the opposite extreme but she spends two hours because she is every friend and she's a doctor so every patient she has and she's got a long list of people and a long list of grandchildren. So, um, but I would say 20 minutes is not so unusual to get everybody in, every child, that helps. relative, every friend who needs something, the community, the world. I mean, we certainly say something, you know, for wherever there's trouble in the world, add that in. People are waiting to get married. People are waiting to be blessed with children. Um, people need good jobs. They need personal health. They need health for their families. There's a lot. And if for some reason, Hashem really just loves that. That's a woman's special mitzvah. And it really only takes a second to light those candles. But... Uh, the heaven is open. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very important part. Thank you for sharing that. As I find this time, as time goes on and I'm more relaxed in the moment, at first I'm worried about knocking things over or doing things wrong. And so as I, as I get more practice and I've noticed that it becomes just, as you say, it's almost, it's like a spiral yeah family and then you know acquaintances and then our, our country and then our community it just yeah so that helps thank you for that yeah but this lady that does it for two hours she is unbelievable amount of people that have gotten help she's a healthcare person a doctor and it's amazing her patients that nobody can cure because she waits for God to, you know, she asks God to cure them. She's not looking at it as it's her hands or her knowledge. So she, I mean, even this Pesach, she's people flying in that that, that can see her during Kalamoy. That's not so unusual for her. It just, but she, she leaves it in, in God's hands, not, not me, the doctor is so good or powerful that all healing comes from above. And so does all that other good stuff. Marriages and children and health. And yeah, it's a very auspicious time. So. Okay. Well, uh, 
as promised, we start on time, we end on time. That's the story. Obviously, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. So if you have any specific questions about Passover, anything specific, um, uh, I will, I've been sending out emails, but I'm going to send out an email with the recording of this for those of you who want it. And also, I'm going to add some very important stuff, uh, like selling your chametz um, and other other things that are really important to do before the holiday. Um, I will. Uh, I have here. If you want to just cut and paste this, this is um, what I'm planning on putting in that email. So if anybody wants that, you can have a bunch of here. There's some more about Passover here. Um, anything you need, but uh, most most important is the bottom one there. And that is selling your chametz. And that is that um, today, thank God, we live in a world full of, of abundance. And uh, we, we're we not supposed to have any leavened bread in our possession, but we often have things that are there that, that we don't throw out. We don't want to throw out the food that we have from the year. And so we put it in a side cupboard and we sell it to, to someone who is not Jewish. And that way we still fulfill the, the mitzvah of not having any leaven in our possession and um and we don't have to throw out all of our foods because thank god we live in a time of abundance so that's really important um if you want to if you want to oops sorry if you want to sell your chametz um so that's the most important of, of the aisle yes I just I just want to say thank you very much and also thank you to your mom and she's a very hard act to follow so um, I think she taught you a lot I see yeah. I'll I tell see. you the truth when he was five years old he became our rabbi because <laughs> we did not grow up religious my husband was reform and I grew up a little bit between conservative and reform and. We saw a lot of our friends in high school and college that married out. And we kind of looked at each other one day and said, we're the only two Jews that married each other. I had a little Sunday school. He had very little. Right about the time he was supposed to, my husband was supposed to be bar mitzvah, his father had a heart attack. So he had to take over like the family business. Um, so we were pretty new at this. And since he was going from the time he was three to all day Jewish school, day school, time he was five, we would ask him questions. And then if he didn't know, he'd ask his Rebbe. And we kind of, he just sped ahead because he was in school eight, 10, 12 hours a day learning Talmud and learning all this. And we were trying to fill in the gaps you know, going to classes here and there, reading what we could, and we're still filling in the gaps. We still ask him questions, and his brothers and sisters call and ask him questions. And so he's, he's been our rabbi since he's five. So, <laughs> and he he made started public speaking when he was seven. <laughs> Seriously, I love it. I love. So there that. you go. <laughs> yeah so we're still like i still to this day have gaps of like what's this and what's that i mean it's a lot but it's been uh you know it's been a 
beautiful, beautiful life. But isn't isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, learning is a lifelong process, right? right. I mean, we, we always learn. It's fabulous. It yeah. is fabulous. We should be open to that. And, it's it's beautiful because it seems almost when you when I listen to you describe the the unfolding of those events, it's almost as if as a family we're all trying to rebraid together all the things that were scattered. Uh, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's beautiful. And, wow! No, it's, uh, I really came because I I always leave the Seder feeling like, well, I don't know that piece. And we say it and I didn't like feel like I had a handle on all of it. I thought, okay, let's see if we can, I'm always filling in. So that's good. Okay. Okay. And that's the story in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't there a picture of you, Rabbi, with the with the Rebbe when yeah. you were really young? Yeah, we we yeah. Uh, we just found it not long ago. We we never had it. Right. We found, we found it a couple of years ago. Right. And yeah, yeah. We drove to New York in my mother's station wagon, and uh, I didn't know his sister couldn't transition, but. Uh, <laughs> We made, we did, yeah. Waited in line. Yeah, quite an experience. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, really have a good night, everyone. And again, obviously, I'm here. If you have any other questions about Passover, um, so um, that's the story. Have a good night. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody. It's good to see everybody. <laughs> good night. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.